Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org. How are y'all doing this morning? Good, good. Worship was incredible. God is already doing things in our hearts. And I, I tell you, uh, this is actually, this is, they've just given me the opportunity to share this word with you, but this word and myself has been going on for about, I'd say about four months now that, uh, Today, I'm not coming to teach you something that I just don't fully understand, but I'm learning in it, but it's something that's being applied, seeing the fruit of it in my own life. I want to give you some testimonies this morning, but then I also, uh, what's happening in live church is uh, the revelation of who we are in Christ Jesus. Uh, We're getting our own encounters, individual encounters, so that Jesus isn't an additive to our lives anymore, but he becomes a reality. And the gospel is truth, because when it is truth, it means I believe it. When I believe something, it becomes my reality. So as we begin to allow Holy Spirit to reveal who we are, what's inside of us, now he's calling us to partnership. And we got this developing what's within you, if you're going to be taking notes. And he just put a buckhead on there because I wanted one. Tried to get him to do a goat, but for some reason he wouldn't do it. No, I'm just kidding. But before we get into some serious stuff, I got some new jokes for y'all. Love jokes. These are some signs that we just come across. Uh, hold on one second. Good? A little better? All right, uh, this is a Mexican food place in Austin, Texas. has these signs out front. Pigs are magical animals. They turn vegetables into bacon. I thought it was good. I love bacon. (laughs) Why can't T-Rexes high-five each other? Because they're dead. (laughs) Sorry. First first thing I thought was their little arms, but it's fine. (laughs) Uh, Does struggling to put your jeans on count as cardio? (laughs) Oh, come on now. All right, one more, then we'll get serious. Clapping is literally hitting yourself because you like something. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Took me a little while to recover after reading that one. That was good. All right, come on. Let's pray. It's come to that, as Chris Valentin would say. Father, we thank you because you're just, you're just the father of everything that is in our word. Every scripture we've ever read. God, it is truth for who you created us to be. Every scripture, every testimony out of the Bible is a ticket, it's a receipt that as we as sons and daughters have been invited to live in. And I pray today, God, you bring divine remembrance for every encounter we've had with you, for every scripture we've read, for every time we've seen you in nature and in your creation. We wanna be such in awe and wonder of who you are as Abba this morning. And God, just release us. God, take scales off of our eyes to fully see and understand who you created us to be. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we ain't going to have it on the screen this morning, but go to 2 Peter chapter 1. I'll give you a second to get there. 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 5. I want you to look at the person next to you and say, you got it all. Man, come on. Look at the other person and say, you got it going on. If that wasn't your spouse, you failed that. You, no, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> you got it all. You got everything you need. You got it all within you. And I don't mean just good morals, and I don't just mean good uh, attributes of your conduct. Everything supernatural lives inside of you. Jesus Christ died on the cross. When you received him, he put his spirit within you, and you've been given everything you need to fully live to the standard of Jesus. Nothing left out. If you understand the reality of what I'm gonna talk to you today, you'll walk out of this building, you'll see the sick healed, you'll see the broken heart restored, you'll see families restored. Everything that looks like darkness, you'll invade it with light because it'll become your reality. I'm not looking to receive anymore, I'm looking to develop what I already have. So let's jump in 2 Peter chapter one, we're gonna start in verse five. So, and I'm going to read this out of the Passion Translation. It'll look different in different translations. So devote yourselves to lavishly supplementing your faith with goodness. This lavishly 
supplementing, just take that out and think of it as action. I am acting on what I have. It's an action word right there. I am acting. So devote yourselves to lavishly supplementing your faith with goodness. And to goodness, add understanding. And to understanding, add the strength of self-control. I want you to look at that right there. I'm not going to linger on this very long, but I want you to look how he said strength of self-control. That there is actual strength in how you control yourself. Are you weak? Are you led by the Spirit? If I act out out of un, uh, uh, an inability, not that you don't have the ability, but if I don't choose to partner and control myself, I will live in a weakened state. We struggle, we struggle. It's a snowball effect. It's a snowball effect. I get weaker and I get weaker and I get weaker and we spend our whole lives weak in Christianity. Christianity is not a struggle. What's a struggle is living in weakness and you can't fulfill a standard because you don't live in obedience. That's what's a struggle. Christianity is not a struggle. You want to know what was a struggle, Kenny? When I was caught up in sin and couldn't get out. That was a struggle. What was a struggle is when, I, uh, when Jesus was a concept out of the Bible, but I didn't live in relationship and develop what I had. So therefore, I had an inward desire to live to a standard I could not meet. That's a struggle. True Christianity is life. True Christianity is life. Add to understanding, add strength of self-control. And to self-control, add patience, endurance. Add, and to patient endurance, add godliness. And to godliness, add mercy toward your brother and sisters. And to mercy toward others, add unending love. Now this is where we're really gonna, we're gonna hang our hat today. Since these virtues are already planted deep within and you possess them in abundant supply, they will keep you from being inactive or fruitless in your pursuit of knowing Jesus Christ more intimately. But if anyone lacks these things, say lack, he is blind, constantly closing his eyes to the mysteries of our faith and forgetting his innocence, for his past sins have been washed away. Then we're going to pick up right here in verse, I think it's 10 or 11. For this reason, beloved ones, be eager to confirm and validate that God has invited you to salvation and claimed you as his own. My goodness. And you can all go home. No, I'm just kidding. This is really good. Okay. Since these virtues are already planted, I want to really get this in you before we start breaking it down. Everything we just listed. Every one of those virtues that looks just like Jesus, that when revealed through you, will put you in a position to reflect Christ. I want you to see what he says here, that these virtues are planted deep within you. And you possess them in abundant supply. So you're not going to encounter a situation where you don't have the funds needed to bring heaven to earth. They will keep you from being inactive or fruitless in your pursuit of knowing Jesus Christ. But if anyone lacks these things, he is blind. Why did he say if anyone lacks these things, it means you just don't have enough? No, it means that I can't see what I already have. If I have an abundant supply, it means I have enough for myself and it will, uh, it will satisfy everyone else around me. An abundant supply is more than I need for myself. So not in the, only in your own circumstances and situations, but you're going to get in circumstances and situations that other people are tied to you in. And you've been given abundant supply of virtues that reveal the reality of God's nature. But if I get in circumstances and situations and feel like I need additives, then I will seek what I already have. You know, it's one of the most aggravating things is when I have my phone. Majority of this ha time, this happens on call. I'm sure this happens to somebody else. But when I'm on call, I got to always have my phone on me so I can hear it if I get called out. And a lot of times, especially when we go somewhere I don't really think I have service, I'll, I'll keep it in my hand to make sure I get service so I can still go do stuff I need to do. And it's so funny because a lot of times when I'm on call and I have my phone in my hand, I'll look for my phone. <laughs> Y'all ever done that? I'll have my phone in my hand. I'll ask, my, ask Taylor, I'll be like, babe, where's my phone at? I'm looking all over the house. She's like, look in your hand. 
Oh. How aggravating is it to look for something you already have? You want to know what one of the most tiring things is as a Christian? It's to seek, search, and look for, and, and work yourself to try to find everything you've already been given. You possess them in abundant supply. And it says, these will keep you from being inactive and fruitless. You want to know why the church had shifted? And I used had because we're coming out. I declare that. We're coming out now. We're progressive forward. But he says, they will keep you from being inactive and fruitless. How often do we live in inactivity and fruitlessness? No fruit that reveals the goodness of God. How often do we live in that? But it's the understanding of what I have that keeps me from being fruitless. So if you live your life with the thought, the thought that I need more, then you will literally position yourself in the place of seeking something you will not obtain because you already have. So if I spend my life seeking to obtain what I already have, then I'll literally live in a place of inactiveness and fruitlessness. I can't represent Jesus if I'm looking to add when I already have what represents him. Adam and Eve. So we see Adam and Eve in the garden and we see Eve get deceived by Lucifer. And when she gets deceived, he deceives her. And when the conversation, I'm going to paraphrase, you can go look it up in Genesis chapter three. But in Genesis chapter three, he comes to tempt her to eat the fruit. And when he comes to tempt her to eat the fruit, she said, what, did, didn't God say you could eat from anything? No, we can't eat from, we can eat from everything in the garden except for that tree. There was the tree of life and there was the tree of good and evil. Okay, it was death. If we eat this fruit, we will die. And that's what Eve tells Satan. She says, we can eat of every tree in this, this garden, but we can't eat of that tree. And then Satan says, well, no, it's not that you'll die. It's that if you eat it, you're gonna become just like God. So I want you to think about what happened because Genesis 1 comes before Genesis 3. And in Genesis 1, he created Adam and Eve in his likeness and in his image. So the greatest temptation that will stumble and cripple us to fall is thinking I need something that I already have. Eve would have never been deceived if she didn't come into the reality that I am not like God. When he said in the beginning, you are like me. You're created in my likeness and image. So you don't need anything else, Eve. It's not like God planted the two trees and hoped and wondered like, just I hope you eat of the right one, 50-50 shot. No, he said that this is life but you're created in my image, don't eat this, it's death. He was revealing that in who they were, they were already perfectly created in his image. But when she got put in a position to feel like she needed something she already had, all of creation fell. I, I've been saved for uh, six years now truly saved, set free, born again in a relationship with Holy Spirit for about six years now. And I'm a very driven, active person. You can ask my father sitting over here. He's got to slow me down a lot just to spend time with me. I'm wide open, getting better at it. I want to rest more. But one of the things that I never understood was how do you live in contentment because contentment is the gate to the fullness of Christ. As Paul said, I've learned to be content in everything. It's contentment and thankfulness. But how do I be content and not be complacent? I've been saved six years now, and I never understood it. It's a question I've asked God throughout my time of being saved, and I got it this weekend. And it was an incredible revelation for me. And you may think, well, of course, that's what it is. But when I begin to think about it is... If we're honest with ourselves, I need to be able to live in full contentment and know what I have, but I can't live in a place of complacency that I never progress the kingdom. So how do I do that? And he said, this is what he told me sitting in my office, true contentment is not complacency. Contentment is knowing you need nothing added to fulfill your desires, but complacency is not developing them. All of these virtues, when you jump down in the verses that we read, and it says, for this reason, beloved ones, be eager to confirm and validate that God has invited you to salvation and claims you as his own. That's when we give God a bad reputation when that our only claim 
to, that we are his is by church attendance or if I just have to tell you. It's not in my development of his characteristics that have already been put in me. You'll never have to say where you go to church. You'll never have to declare who you are just to try to satisfy a need that you're not satisfying by the development of what you have in you. You, the most miserable state to live in is with the inward desires of God that long for the greater things of the kingdom, but you choose, we choose to not develop so we live in a place of thinking I need something else. I live in a place of lack. Proverbs chapter four in the passing translation, he says, all the riches of the world won't do you any good when in death, but it's be rich in righteousness. Righteousness is right standing with God. It's that I know the word, I know what the Spirit saying, I, I'm led in obedience. I don't need an additive. We, it's the culture we live in that addition is multiplication. Addition makes me better than what I am. Pick a topic. It's always about more. It's never about taking what I have and developing it. Development is a struggle, but it's where we see the kingdom multiplied and come through us. To develop something, I have to deal with the things that I'm not good at. I have to deal with the things that make me uncomfortable. In development, I'm, once you take LeBron James, for instance, I, I heard this testimony the other day in a message. I just, it really hung with me. But they were talking about LeBron James. And LeBron James, if anybody knows that what a double-double a is, it's like a points, blocks, assists, steals. It's like a category of five statistics in a basketball game. And if a guy gets a double-double, it means he got double digits in two of those categories. And if you get a triple-double, it means you got three double-digit numbers in three of those statistics. Well, the other day, LeBron James, if you don't know him, he plays in the NBA, he got a quadruple-double. And it means he got four double-digit stats and four stat lines. But the fourth one was in turnovers. And when they got in the interview after the game, they didn't want to talk about the fact he dropped 30-something points, 10 assists, and had so many blocks. They wanted to talk about what he had done wrong. This is development. LeBron James didn't back down from the fact that he had over multiple digit turnovers. He said, we've got to get better. I've got to perfect my game. I've got to not turn the ball over more. That's what he wanted to talk about. Too often, we only want to look at the things that we're okay with and that are easy to deal with, but development is seeing that I have a lack in this area. So not that I need to go get more, I need to develop what I have. If I go to the gym with Cody, Cody's big swole. If I go with Cody, I'm trying to catch Cody. So majority of the time when I look in the mirror and I see a body part that's not catching up with the rest of me, I go spend more time developing that part. I don't say, oh, I need new legs. Man, them things are looking shabby right now. I probably need to run to Academy and pick me up another pair of those. No, I take what I have and develop it because all that I need are in these legs. They're not big right now, but if I worked them hard enough, they would get there. But it's the understanding that I have all I need, and if I take it and develop it, and what I mean by that is I live in obedience to the Holy Spirit and to the gospel truth, then I begin to develop muscles that I already have, and therefore I'm revealing the nature of God. What can keep us from living in what is already ours? I want you to look, it says, but if anyone lacks these things, I want you to see, he says, and you possess them in abundant supply, they will keep you from being inactive and fruitless in your pursuit of knowing Jesus Christ more intimately. It's always about knowing him. Uh, you, you can listen to all the messages in the world, but the backbone of every message you're going to hear is to draw you into the person of Jesus Christ. Nothing else. Everything is built on the platform. It's the very reason he came, that we would come into right relationship. That is righteousness. I'm in right standing with the Father. I'm in an intimate relationship. Everything's about knowing Jesus. What can keep us from living? It says, but if anyone lacks these things, he is blind, constantly closing his eyes to the mysteries of faith and forgetting his innocence. If you look 
forgetting his innocence. In the New King James Version, I just read out the Passion Translation, it says, he who lacks these things is short-sighted. A person that doesn't look to the future, we have to be present. I can't pray for the sick if I'm not present. If I live in a constant fantasy of what's going to happen, I can't be present now. But if I live in short-sightedness, and what I mean by that is your total focus is what you're going through right now, then I am blind to the very virtues of God that want to be released through me. God is a generational God. He's in the family business. He's not quick to disqualify his children. He's looking for you to partner so that you can be developed. I don't need anything else, Kenny. I just need to be developed. I have the Holy Spirit with me. Now I need to develop. If we live in a weakened state, it's because we do not choose to operate with the Holy Spirit. We're all given choices every day. Every day you're awake, you have choices. If you are a born again believer, the Holy Spirit is with you and he is unctioning you. He is pressing on you. He is speaking to you to move you into the very person of Jesus Christ. And if you are not operating in the virtues of God. It's not because he didn't give you enough. It's because we have stopped developing. We've stopped growing. I heard this the other day and it just hit so home for me. It's like in a family, we call ourselves a family. We preach family. We all love each other. We are a family here. We are the family of God. We are sons and daughters. We are a family. And if we're in a family, say my nephew, Stephen stops growing. And in six months, he ain't grown an inch. And in seven months, eight months, a year, he hasn't grown anything. You better believe that everybody in our family would be concerned about that young man. He ain't growing. It ain't the way it's supposed to be. Let's get him to the doctor. Let's figure out what's wrong. It's not okay. He's malnourished. It's not okay. Let's figure out the problem, get it out so he can grow. Why are we not that way in the kingdom? We'll sit, if, if you can go six months and not look any more like Jesus than you did six months ago, you need to assess what is the problem. We are going from glory to glory to glory, but to sit in a one place and settle out, that is complacency. And if I don't recognize that I'm malnourished and I'm not growing, then you are lying to ourselves. We're lying. I'm not looking any more like Jesus than I did a year, two years, six months ago. But I'm okay with it. I'm in my process. No, the process is the process. And what I mean by that, the process is always taking me progressive. To stay here and never grow, I can't blame that on the process. Let me tell you. I have failures all the time. I, and what I mean by that, I ain't caught up in sin and disobedience. I mean, in my progress, God is teaching me things that I don't quite yet understand. And what I mean by that is if I stay here and then I move forward in obedience and I move forward in obedience, well, then I get to this comfort level in life. So I begin to waver on what I'm going to obey and what I'm not. I got put in this position at work. I'm agitated. People are getting on my nerves. So then I lash out. You have the Holy Spirit and I guarantee you that he pressed on you what his results needed to be. But you chose to respond from yourself. Disobedience. Disobedience. Disobedience, disobedience, disobedience. You can keep this going on forever. And then we'll just keep regressing or staying stagnant and blaming on the fact that God is not doing what he needs to do in our life. I'm upset that I don't have enough. I'm upset that I'm not getting more. I'm upset that I didn't get that phone call when I missed church. I'm upset that I'm not developing in my personal life. Maybe that it... It's a position we have to be in that says no matter what he presses on me, I'm going to obey. Obedience is the development of what we already have. We have to not be okay with not growing. This is not an age thing. It doesn't matter if you're 110. If you got a month to live, you got a month to grow closer to God. It doesn't stop. The process never stops. And we cannot settle in one place and get frustrated because we settled there. This really wasn't where I'm going to go, but we're going to go there. 
The promises of God are potential. They're not absolute. They're all going to come true in your life. They're the invitation to partner with God. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It says that he will work all things for the good of those who love him. The most abused scripture in the Bible that I've ever heard, me personally. I'm sure you've heard your own. It gets quoted left and right in people experiencing things that their disobedience got them there. And then we give the world a bad perspective of God when we tie his nature to things that are happening when his spirit had something completely different planned for us. You will go through things. Let's look at this. Let's jump down to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 17. I want y'all to know, this is, I, if I sound uh, stern or anything like that, I'm not. I'm very adamant about this word because it's developing something in me and I want to give it away. I just want you to take it. Just take it home, build it in a relationship. He wants to do something through you. If I sound frustrated, I promise I'm not. Just passionate about the topic. Right, Kenny? Good deal. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to read 13 through 17. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Side note, <laughs> I didn't know what loins were earlier. I had to look it up online. They showed me a picture of what it was when a guy went into battle with loins on. So they had these long things that went all the way to the ground. Looked like big skirts. And they got ready to go out into battle. They would pull them up to here. They would pull all the slack out in front of them and run it through their legs and then turn it around like this, come back to each other and tie it in front of them. And that was their battle position. Gird up the loins of your mind. Don't let stuff be hanging out when you're getting ready to go take on what God's telling you to do. You know what the looseness of the mind is? It says, put the kingdom of God first and all these things will be added to you. When your mind is obsessed with adding things God said he'd give you if you put him number one. He's looking for our yes. He's not looking for your formula that you can insert him into and get the result needed. He is the formula. He is the answer. And when he becomes the revelation that everything goes to him and he'll add all this, then you're living with a mind that's loins are girded up. My mind can't be tripped, grabbed, tossed to and fro. I'm not a double-minded man when I get in a position and realize that I, I, for, I, there's no way I'm going to live with everything in my mind jumbled chaos when I was given one task, and that's to say yes. Put him first. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Be here. Be present. Be aware. God's moving. If your head are in the clouds and you don't care about what he wants to say, that's an unsober mind. Be aware. Be intentional. And rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. All through Jesus. All of this is just revelation of Jesus. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Why did Peter say that? Because it says in the Bible that he has not given you a spirit of fear, but of peace, love, and a sound mind. Why, why did he say your time here? The rest of the time you're going to be here operating fear. Because this fear right here is phobos in the Greek. P-H-O-B-O-S. Reverential fear. As a controlling motive of the life and matters, spiritual and moral. A wholesome fear of displeasing him. We're scared of everything except for the one fear that we were created to have. Every other form of fear is sin in Jesus' eyes. Because the reason it is, when it dwells in us, it blinds us to what's in us. It's that blinding that he talked about a little ago. It's that, that's when we become short-sighted, when I'm so fixated on what's... <clears throat> This fear banishes the terror that shrinks from his presence. 
This fear gets rid of this bad fear. It's pretty simple. It's not real complex. It's just one of the things that if you become into the reality that I was meant to live with a reverential fear, we fear man, we fear finances, we fear different things that we cannot control. When you just live with a fear of him, it cancels all that other fear out because you understand that when you say things like Romans chapter 8, verse 28, if I, I can quote scriptures that are actual promises because therefore I'm partnering with them, I can't throw out scriptures that are promises and therefore not partner with them because so often we throw out scriptures like Romans 8, 28, things don't work out or things go in a way that God did not have planned because of our disobedience, we end up in a mess and then say, God is testing me. No, you wanna know why the world around us blames sickness as a plague from God or that's God teaching somebody a lesson or God's trying to do something in them. You wanna know why that uh, the world says storms and tsunamis say this is an act of God? They didn't just randomly come up with that. The church told them that. Sinners don't come up with theology on God. We give it to them. And the church for so long would see darkness hit the earth and because we are living in a disobedience so therefore we can't see his kingdom come, I put blame on things of, that are not of God to him and therefore now we see in our nation right now that the church is rising up but we're having to break down walls and barriers that were built from decades of lies about God. They're lies. We cannot build a theology around disobedience. Why? I heard a pastor say the other day that I cannot live in the reality of an experience that doesn't align with truth. If my experience is here, but the truth says I was created to live here, I don't lower the truth to my experience. I raise my experience to meet the truth. I prayed for, uh, the, our body prayed for a woman. I got to talk to her on the phone and I wanna say this was in 2000, probably 14, 2000, when we first started the soup kitchen. We had met a woman here that was diagnosed with stage four cancer and she'd only been six months to live. I got to call her on the phone when I was working at my past job, called her, talked to her on the phone, prayed over her on the phone, hung up, never knew anything else about the lady until one year to the date she had been given six months to live and one year to the date she come to our soup kitchen. No more cancer, fully healed. God, God came and completely healed that woman. I've prayed for people since then that had cancer and they passed away. It was devastating. My reality is not my experience. My reality is the truth of the gospel. I am not going to shift the way I view God because of a bad experience. We do the world an injustice when we claim to hold on to God in us, through us. We're Christians, we're believers, and then we tie things of darkness to our Father. If my experience doesn't meet the truth of the gospel, then I haven't had the full experience. I don't adjust my truth to my experience. I develop what I have. Now, let me tell you, Justin, I have the reality that God heals cancer. My experience does not change my truth. So now I partner with God because all the virtues of healing in the supernatural are fully within me. They're fully within you. They are full, you are the full capacity of Jesus and we have been given the opportunity and privilege to partner and develop through obedience. I don't change my reality now and live in disobedience when God puts somebody in front of me that has cancer. When God highlights somebody to me that's got a hurt body or something wrong with him or he's trying to do something where he can get to his children he loves. I don't process the moment through my experience. I process it through truth. You're all going to experience things that test you of what you have in you. But if you change the truth, you'll live in a belittled, weakened state of Christianity that is a struggle to be progressive. The hardest thing to do is to have a desire to move forward in the kingdom of God, 
but blame him for a position you chose to be in and then live the rest of your life miserable because there is, a, a, there is an open heaven he invited you to dwell in. When somebody doesn't get healed, I don't change my reality. My reality is he heals the sick. When your loved one doesn't get saved, it doesn't mean that God doesn't save or he didn't want to save them. It's time to gird up your loins, develop what's in you through perseverance. Some things aren't going to happen as soon as you want them to happen. But there's a father that if you live in obedience, Romans chapter 8 verse 28 is your promise that all things will work together for the good of those who love him. You want to know what it says in the Bible about those who love him or those who are obedient? I can't claim a promise that I don't live to the standard of. If you get this, there's things that y'all are praying about in this house that we are as a family, as you are as an individual. I just want to talk to y'all for a minute. Is that okay? I usually get riled up. There's things that God wants to answer. There's things God wants to come and do what only he can do because you are his child and he loves you. But we cannot live in the promises of God when we won't live to his standard. If I choose to live in disobedience on any scale, if I'm at the gas station and I don't get a word of knowledge, but Holy Spirit highlights the person checking me out that they're struggling, that they need to know the love of the Father, and He presses it on my heart. And I choose to purchase my drink or my gas and cut on out because I'm busy or because it's uncomfortable. That's disobedience. There's two types of obedience. There's obedience to the Word of God, and there's obedience to the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said, when I leave... I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And there's things I can't even tell you right now, but the Holy Spirit will reveal all truth. So there's the partnering with the Word of God. So like I just said, my experience doesn't change the truth. If my experience doesn't fully measure up to what the promises of God are, I don't change my truth I pursue until I have the fullness of the experience of Jesus Christ. I don't belittle it. The second partnership is with the Holy Spirit. He said he's parakletos. He's one called along beside you. Every one of you have him. If you are born again, the Holy Spirit is with you and in you. There is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I understand that. But he has given you the Holy Spirit to lead you into all righteousness. And in the leading of the righteousness, I have to understand that just as true as this word of God is, what the Holy Spirit speaks and presses on me is the same. It is the very nature and truth of God revealed in the person. What I mean by that is, you have the virtues. He said we were created in his image and in his likeness. If I have Christ living within me, Holy Spirit with me and beside me, then that means obviously the standard was to replicate Jesus. He said he is the firstborn among many, that I was meant to look just like Jesus. I'm not coming up with a false doctrine. Just read the word of God. This is what it is. The, if God's one task, if Jesus' one task was just to save humanity, he would have come, grew up, went straight to the cross. But he wanted to reveal what the Father wanted to do on earth. He spent three years radically changing the planet. He didn't just jump in, ride a donkey, go get on the cross, die, raise again, and get out of here. He come to show us the standard. And it's our standard. It's, it's an invitation. But so often we put it so far away as a standard I'll never reach. And I can't live in the miraculous. I can't live in the supernatural because we've, we've, we've adopted disobedience and called it the process. I had, to, I had to ask myself these things, Kenny. I had to process these things. Because I have an inward desire to see thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That is my truth. It should be your truth. I funnel everything through that reality. Not my experiences and not my failures and not my disappointments. 
I don't change it. I pursue it. I develop it by the grace of God and then the unction of the Holy Spirit. That reverential fear we talked about is the key. I want to explain that a little bit more. Phobos, the fear he's talking about, reside here, stay in fear. It's reverential fear. It's living with my greatest reality is I do not want to disappoint my father. It is, it's almost impossible. So I talked about that, that scenario at the gas station. So many people touched by the love of God in just little moments like that. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. It is almost impossible to walk away from the moments when you live with reverential fear. Because when you live with reverential fear, the fear of being uncomfortable or what people will say is, is dissipated. Because when I walk up to this counter, I live with reverential fear that, my God, I don't want to disappoint you. We, we, we sometimes throw it out like God is a loving God and therefore we're okay to be in disobedience and, and it's, it, we shouldn't live in fear because he is a good, good father. And let me tell you, just the fact that he wants you to live in reverential fear is a total uh, look into the fact that he is a good father. But we stumble through life in disobedience. We don't, aren't led by the spirit. We don't obey the truth of the word. And then we cope with it because he's a good, good father. No, as a good, good father, Romans chapter 8 is a promise that when you partner with it, he's going to reveal to you just how good of a father he is because you live in reverential fear. We blame, we do, we experience, we encounter, we go through things. Did you know that I, I read it one time that biblical scholars said that with the Israelites and their journey to the promised land, with that many people and how far it was, it should have been a little over seven days to get there. Took them 40 years. What process are you in right now that is so prolonged because you just aren't willing to partner with God? That has become my biggest prayer about living with reverential fear. Is God, don't let me add one day to a process that you didn't want to add. I, if, if I pass up one moment where the Spirit presses me, then I may be adding to a process that he wanted to do today. That's reverential fear. That's living with the understanding that I just want to please my father. Let's, I'm going to give you one more scripture and then I'm going to wrap up because I want time to pray for anybody who needs healing. Uh, I, I, we were, a lot of us that are in leadership, we prayed for this church. We prayed for the vision for this church. This is a lot of what this, this comes out of, is, is knowing what we are going to step into as Life Church. But I prayed in, before and in, in at the end of December for what was 2018 going to be here. And this is the year of miracles. We will see the full supernatural hand of God in this building and in the sons and daughters that leave this building. I would have never seen... I, I, at, to this point, I would have never seen one person healed. I would have never seen one person touched by the love of God if I wasn't obedient. Every time. Every time. Y'all love to hear the testimonies. We celebrate them. God has his own testimonies. He wants to work through you. I don't have some gift or talent for healing. I'm just obedient. We're just obedient. And I get it wrong sometimes. I slip up. I fail. And what, what's crazy is, is when you live with reverential fear, you don't go into shame and condemnation. You come running back to the hands of the Father. You can't. You can't go into shame and condemnation because you have an inward desire. It will literally kill you. When you have an inward desire for the things of God, when you live outside of them in disobedience, you can't stay there because it will eat you alive. And that's what the Bible also talks about is that it will sear your conscience. I feel like so many of us have all these drawings of God, but little random acts of disobedience at random times when the Holy Spirit was trying to push us into everything he had for us, we've seared our conscience. I remember my dad used to tell me always growing up, when I was out there just acting a fool, he would say, the worst place you can ever get, son, is when your conscience don't tell you what's right anymore. 
And I remember that place I got to. That was one of the most fearful times of my life. But we do that in the kingdom of God. That we sear our conscience and wonder why I'm not being progressive in the kingdom. Because the kingdom is all about development. The other night we were talking about this word and Holy Spirit just really showed me, and I don't know because I ain't never used one, but some of you more seasoned folks could tell me. <laughs> Back in the day when you had a single row plow that was pulled by a mule or something like that, they used to, I've heard them guys at work talk about that they would pick out a post or a tree to make sure you got a straight line. In the kingdom, and in the Bible, it says that anyone who puts their hand in the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. And the way God showed that to me is, is I have this entire field. It's massive. It's beyond view of how big this thing is. And he says, that's the kingdom. And I've assigned you to your row to plow. And when you're plowing and you get tired or it's frustrating or the soil's hard and you turn around and look back and say, well, that, I mean, it's not the full field, but I mean... This one row, we, well, I mean, we'd probably get some good crop out of it. That's not fit for the kingdom. Think about that for a minute. Complacency is not fit for the kingdom. I'm not making this up. This is just what the Word says. This is the truth we've got to live by. If we have a lowered standard in our life, we can't be settled with it. Let me tell you. You will live a miserable life thinking you're really close and intimate to God because you attend church but don't live by the standard. It's a miserable life. You will, be, you will go through things and not live in the promises of God like Romans chapter 8 that all things will work out for the good of those that love him. But if you don't partner, you'll go through things and not understand why because you go to church and you think that's the reality of the kingdom. The reality of the kingdom is I leave this place and I've got food to chew on, to eat, to develop what I have in me. When we get up here, it's just to develop. It's just to provoke so you go develop. This is, this is not the final. This is just the means. This isn't the end. You want to live in the fullness of the problem? You want to come play, Scott? I'm going to wrap up right now. That's probably my greatest, my greatest prayer. is that everything the church gave the world a bad perspective of as far as our father goes, that in 2018, we as sons and daughters will take personal responsibility to see those things broken. Personal responsibility of developing. You have family members. You have friends. I, I encounter them all the time, like, Everybody's a believer. Everybody's a believer. But people go through things that God never intended them for, for them to go through and then have outcomes that are detrimental that they spend the rest of their life trying to get over. That's not the kingdom. It's not the kingdom. I'm, I'm going to experience things. I'm going to go through loss. I'm going to go through hurt times. But there's always an outcome that's going to bring God glory when I live in obedience. Because that reverential fear, it actually goes on to say that he said, this reverential fear will change your attitude and disposition when a person lives, I want to read that. Make sure I get it right. It says, this reverential fear influences the disposition and attitude of one whose circumstances are guided by trusting God. It didn't say you wouldn't have circumstances. It just says, with reverential fear, your circumstances will be guided by trusting God. That the scriptures become promises that I'm partnering with. They don't become scriptures that I throw out and then I end up being disappointed in God. I feel like there's some people in here that are just disappointed. Disappointed in God. And at, at some point, whether you're saying it out blatantly, in the back of your mind, you wonder why he didn't come through. You wonder why it didn't happen. You just wonder why this thing didn't Go the way you thought it would. I'm not going to say things are going to go the way you think it should, but they're always going to come into an outcome when God is your guide and you live in trust in Him and live in obedience that Romans chapter 8 is your promise. That no matter the outcome, this thing is going to work out for me. Every time. It's my reality. But I feel like I really feel that in my heart this morning. That some people are just disappointed. 
But if you step back and you reflect for a moment, we, we were disobedient. We're just disobedient. And people around us are affected by our disobedience. That's why it's called self-responsibility. You play a part. You play a part. There's testimony sitting in the hearts and in the spirits of believers in this room that you were created to walk in a greater destiny, but you cannot get there without obedience. So he's going to play. And we're just going to give just a little time, and then pastor's going to come close our service out. But what's so great about God is I just kind of bumped on that thing about a, clear, a seared conscience. The great, one of the greatest privileges we have in the kingdom is to live with a clear conscience. And I remember when I first started uh, developing this relationship with the Holy Spirit. This is the process. Let me, let me give you a little insight into that beginning process for me. When I started getting words and knowledge, I began to feel Holy Spirit's pressing. When I would decipher things and I would go through all these things in my head because there wasn't that reverential fear fully in place. I had fear that would make me decide off of I was scared of what somebody would say or what was going to happen. And when I would do that, the next time I noticed somebody that was sick, it was even harder because I had to funnel it through the fact that I was disobedient last time. God didn't do that to me. God didn't put guilt and shame on me. I seared my conscience. We don't want to talk about that, but that's what happens is when just like I love how Josh always says the snowball effect is for the good. And what I mean by that is every time I'm obedient, it's like a snowball effect. And it makes the next time easier and the next time easier and the next time easier and the next time easier. And then I begin to hear his voice easier. And then it's more clear when he presses on me. Do you want to get to that place? Do you want to hear the Holy Spirit with clarity? Do you want to know what he's speaking to your family clearly? Do you want to walk in the fullness of the kingdom? He's asking you and he's inviting you and he's just saying, I just need your yes. I don't need you to have a clear conscience right now. I don't need you to have made all the right decisions this week. I just need your yes. I live... I, I pray every day that I live with my yes. That I don't have it all figured out, but I live with yes. Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org.